Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. It is day three of the Wimbledon Championships. It has been a bit wet and sodden on the outside courts. We've had lots of frustration, but we've also had one of the most romantic stories imaginable with a player who's only won about seven games in a match, but he was ranked 772 in the world. His name, Marcus Willis, the British number 23, and he is the man we're going to be talking about first here on the Tennis Podcast. My name is David Law. Catherine Whittaker's here. We've got Charlie Eccleshare from The Telegraph as a special guest today. And how about this? We've only got BBC Radio 5 Live's Philip Studd. Philip, how are you doing? I'm very good, David. Yes, it has been wet, it has been drizzly, but how the whole atmosphere has been lit up by what's happened on Centre Court today. We've had Novak Djokovic setting a new Open Era record for Grand Slam wins consecutively, and we've had Marcus Willis, the fairy tale man, who has shaken hands with Roger Federer, embraced arguably the greatest player of all time at the net, after putting on a terrific show in front of a packed crowd under the roof, the noise reverberating around the stadium like some rock concert. It's a day that Marcus Willis will never forget, and no one who was there will ever forget as well. No, no, Philip doesn't get that animated easily. It has to be good. Catherine Whittaker, you're not one for hyperbole either. However, uh, even you were won over as well, weren't you? Let's be honest. Twinkle in the eye, a tear in the eye, I would say. Even. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I would say... Okay, I, I exaggerate. I was going to say, I, I learned everything I know about being deadpan from Philip Studd, I'm very proud to say. Uh, but yeah, it was hard to be in the face of Marcus Willis, wasn't it? My favourite... Well, it's hard to pick a favourite thing, but possibly the fact that he walked onto court looking like a Roger Federer impersonator. It was just fantastic that moment when they first walked on the photos the images we got earlier in the day of him sneaking out onto center court during the Djokovic match just to catch a glimpse of what it was like that was fantastic and just that smile the most infectious smile throughout the match at every at every key moment I mean it was just fantastic I think the scoreline was pretty much exactly what most people were predicting I think everybody thought that at some point there would he would mount a plucky challenge in fact there were a couple of those points but in the end it would always feel like a pretty straightforward victory for Federer who himself was incredibly classy as always today he did all the right things standing back allowing Marcus Willis to to thank the crowd that had supported him and crucially I think it was the first time we've ever seen a crowd overwhelmingly against against Roger Federer at Wimbledon. Yeah, certainly my favourite point of the match was uh, before the first ball had even been struck when Marcus Willis was doing windmill arms to get the crowd whipped up even more. Charlie Eccleshare, the, the people that you're sitting next to in the press room aren't 
really given to getting overwhelmed by the emotion of it all, really, are they? But what was it like in there? No, they're not. But it was, uh, I think anyone would have struggled to be kind of affected by it. It was, it was just such an amazing story. And, uh, and for me, it felt like this amazing insight into what seeing... What, in the main interview room, immediately. Marcus Willis, immediately. See, that, that's how exciting it is here, where we stand just outside the press room that Charlie Eccleshire sits in, because uh, we get to hear the latest on when big star Marcus Willis makes his entrance into the press room. So we'll keep an eye out, see if he walks past at any point. Anyway, Charlie, you were saying? No, it, it felt like seeing what I would have been like on centre court against Federer. I mean, he just looked like he was absolutely loving it, cheering points, you know, so enthusiastically. He, when he won his first game, he celebrated as if he just won the tournament. And, and why not? You know, that's what it felt like at the time. And there was a, a wonderful moment on Five Live's commentary. I, I was over on court too as Alistair Eakin delivered the line, Marcus Willis has just landed a blow for club players across the land. Is this an OK point to mention the fact that he went to school with my brother? There we go, I've mentioned it. And I learned that from a Telegraph article. I was doing my research, I read the Telegraph profile piece, and the first line was he went to the Forest School in Winnersh, and I saw Winnersh, and I saw Forest School, and I got very excited. So there you go. I enjoyed the sort of bit part role that Roger Federer played in all this, one of the most famous, well, the most famous player in the world, arguably the greatest of all time. And he loved it, didn't he? Let's be honest, Roger Federer actually just enjoyed the whole circus. He looked like he sort of couldn't help but giggle almost at certain points. I mean, you've described him, you've often described on the tennis podcast the side of Roger Federer that we don't necessarily see these days, which I'm sure comes out behind the scenes, but the public Roger Federer doesn't show so much as he perhaps did back in the day when you knew him, David. But I feel like we saw that a bit today, the slightly mischievous Roger Federer, the Roger Federer that's just completely in love with tennis, and, and it was magical. Philip Studd, you were doing the match that preceded that. It was funny, wasn't it? Because when we were sitting there commentating on Novak Djokovic against um, uh, Adrian Manorino, the the French guy, a very good left-hander himself, there was that moment when Marcus Willis actually came out into centre court and sat just a few yards behind Djokovic to get a taste of it all, didn't he? Yeah, to suck up the atmosphere that he was about to encounter himself. But also, he's probably just a big tennis fan like you are, David. You know, remember that most of the time he's not preparing to face one of the greatest players of all time on centre court at Wimbledon. He's playing in his backyard and, you know, eating his Mars bars and drinking his Coke. And so he's thinking, well, hold on a minute. Here's another potentially greatest player of all time who happens to be on centre court. I might get a look at this, you know, while I'm waiting to play Fed uh, in a few minutes' time. And uh, he actually got value for money, didn't he? Because, as you say, a spirited performance from Manorino. And he threatened to take the match into a fourth set in the end. He really played some fantastic stuff right at the back end of that match. And it was one of the best tie breaks I've seen here at Wimbledon. It was full of just showreel shot making from both of them. It was great fun to watch. That was actually a good match in the end for Djokovic to come through in straight sets, wasn't it? Because there was that unusual usual moment when he was serving for it and he actually didn't get over the line Catherine but actually it's not that unusual now is it I mean if there's one tiny tiny chink in the Djokovic armor it's that he actually has got slightly less good recently at serving out matches we saw it at the French Open which those were the most understandable circumstances for it to happen in fact in fact he he did in the end close out that incredible final game 
but we saw it in Madrid against Andy Murray. We saw it. We've actually seen it quite a lot recently. To see it today uh, in the second round against Adrian Manorino as well. It's just you know, it's just these tiny, tiny straws for for the other 127 people in the draw to clutch at, isn't it? Yes, indeed. But the the the, the thing is, him losing a set now is starting to feel like it did when Federer was having that run when it feels like a news event if Djokovic is taken to a tie break. Yeah, well Djokovic last lost a set in the first two rounds of a slam in 2014 which gives you an idea of how really yeah, that's unbelievable which gives set. you an idea of how consistent he is in these early rounds so yeah had Manorino won that set it would have been a huge deal it would have been breaking new ground first time in about two years um, but I agree with, with you Catherine because that it, he has done that before, Djokovic. I mean, even in the Federer final in 2014, you remember he served for a four-sets win and got broken. So, yeah, that is the only thing to maybe cling to. But then he wins it anyway, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Indeed. Just at the end of that match, when Manorino was coming on strong, there was one passing shot, Philip. Now, to give you an idea, our commentary box is about four foot eight inches tall, meaning that myself... I have to kneel inside. <laughs> there was a moment, though, when Djokovic hit, you describe it, Philly, hit a shot that had you almost forgetting where you were and jumping through the roof. And you jumped up and bumped your head, and you had to have some injury timeout treatment there, didn't you? But it was incredible because it was a wonderful rally, and Adrian Manorino hit a volley, which against anyone else, I think, in the world would have been a winner. I mean, it was a terrific angle volley, cross-court. The ball, I swear, was no more than six inches off the turf. Djokovic, on the stretch, came up with the most incredible angle winner, cross-court, past Manorino. And you could almost see the expression on the Frenchman's face of say, has that actually just happened? Has that ball actually come back over the net and landed in for a winner? I mean, for my money, it was the best shot I've seen at Wimbledon 2016 thus far. And if it's bettered, well, I can't wait to see that one. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Did you not see the tweener lob from Kyrgios yesterday? Oh, no, that was good, yeah. But given the moment and given the importance... And the pressure he was, he was under. He was being put under not only in the game and the t- in, uh, heading into in the tiebreak, but also in the point. I mean, he was getting thrown around the court by Manorino just redlining it and he still couldn't win the points. And at that stage the crowd were completely behind Manorino because they wanted to see another set. He was feeding off the energy of the crowd and Djokovic was still fuming at having failed to be clinical and close out the match in three sets having served for it. So if you factor all of that in I just think it was a sublime moment. I'm just really proud to have seen it happen. Yeah, that Kyrgios had a bit more of the circus about it, didn't it? But that was pretty spectacular the other day. The, the tweener lob. I mean, you know, who, who hits tweener lobs? And the best thing about it was that he really didn't need to hit that shot. There was no necessity in it at all. He made a decision. He thought, I could run around this and hit a, a normal forehand or I could go for glory, exactly as he did against Rafael Nadal here a couple of years ago with Rafael Nadal looking not so impressed by it. But uh, it's how he rolls, isn't it? Do you know, I've got a bit on the subject of Curious, I've got a little bit of tennis insider news this evening, which, uh, which I've only learnt about in the last 20 minutes. On the way back from the Dan Evans-Alexander Dolgopolov match on court two, I walked past Carlos Bernardes and Mohamed Liani, the umpires, who you may remember that Mohamed Liani was umpiring the the, uh, Nick Kyrgios match. And quite a bit of a a to-do was made of the fact that he had warned the players 
ahead of the match. We talked about it on the tennis podcast yesterday about how uh, Mohamed Leani had said to the players, now watch your language and don't throw your racket into the court, you know, and, and take divots out of it, is the gist of what he was saying. And they stopped me in the street just now uh, and said, can you tell everybody that that happens before every single match, please. You know, we, we don't differentiate between players. We say, we might say it quietly, but every umpire, it is their duty to say to every player, you're on. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel. And Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live. And you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tiebreak or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Telly, watch your language and don't damage the court. So, that is the, that is the truth, everybody. Here on the Tennis Podcast, delivered from the umpires, Carlos Bernardes and Mohamed Leani. I'd be interested to know when that rule was introduced because last year at Wimbledon it was a vintage year for swearing. I think it was Brody in the first. And they don't follow it; they just do no, whatever no, they exactly. fancy. But it was Brody, Williams, Kyrgios, and even Heather Watson was warned about her language. So uh, yeah, I don't know if it Heather was disappointed. Yeah, I know, very disappointed. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, look, the, the, the heat of the moment gets the better of the players, but they were very keen to, to, to make it clear that it doesn't matter who it is, Roger Federer, any of these people, they're all potentially prone to it, and the umpires are going to make sure everyone knows what's expected of them. Could be Andy Murray's legacy to tennis, couldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. To be warned about their language. Yeah, but anyway, uh, as I said, the, the Dan Evans match ended uh, with them just heading into the tie break. That, that is going to be a good match tomorrow, isn't it? Evans against Dogopolov. We've already had a British winner today in Johanna Konta. Did anybody see her match at all? I mean, there was so much going on at the same time, wasn't there? 
bits and bobs she was very very good she actually lost her serve and then came back to win it and didn't even need to go to tie break she did very very well today she seemed to be playing a particularly aggressive brand of tennis more so than I've seen you know perhaps adapting her style for the grass but I was very impressed indeed she looked steely and and there were none of the um it, it was the new Joe Conta through and through. There were none of the uh, the signs of the slightly more mentally frail old Joe Conta, which is very encouraging. Yeah. So Evans into a tie break. We've got Heather Watson was just. How did she get on? Well, I was going to say actually the contrast between her and Conta was really stark because you had Conta who went down a break actually in that second set, but as ever she's won well, the new Conta anyway. She was so calm you wouldn't have known what the score was. You looked over at Heather Watson, who won the first set and then got bageled in the second. But her body language midway through that second set, she looked like she'd lost it when she went three love down, let alone six love down. So, yeah, you do worry for Heather. I mean, so she'll come back tomorrow and she's now down a break, one love in the third. OK, so the very latest news here provided here on the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association by The Telegraph, Charlie Eccleshire and Philip Studd. What else are you watching this afternoon? Because obviously, once you came out of the commentary box with Djokovic... It really, it really was Willis Wonderland, wasn't it? I mean, I've, ne- I've never seen anything quite like it. The whole, the whole country seemed to just be won over by this guy. He started with 25 followers on Twitter and ended the match with about 15,000. And his coach was live tweeting the match from the players' box. Has that ever happened before? I mean, it was, yeah. Stefan Edberg was doing that. Yeah, of course he was with Roger Federer. Just imagine. Uh, Phil, what, what did you make of it all as it was unfolding? Well, it was extraordinary, wasn't it? I mean, I think the moment when he won his first game and it felt as though he'd won the title, that was just a glorious moment, wasn't it? Because the noise on centre court, and of course exacerbated by the fact that the roof was closed. I mean, it sounded like some apocalyptic uh, moment in mankind had, had, had just come to pass and actually it was a service hold uh, but that's how crazy the story is it sort of makes you want to dust off your shoes and you know become a contender again doesn't it i say again start drinking coke and, and eating snickers bars that's the other option and exacerbated also by the fact that the weather had conspired to add to the greatness of the occasion because there was no other tennis going on around the grounds the rain had halted everything it was almost like it would be rude for there to be any distraction from what was happening on centre court at that moment, and there wasn't. Charlie, what, what's going to happen in the Telegraph's pages tomorrow now? Where, where will the focus lie? Because, I mean, let's be honest, this guy lost 6-love, six 6-3, six 6-4 six or something. Still 100% the main focus. I mean, I think uh, when the day started, it was always going to be it was always going to be the main focus, unless something huge had happened elsewhere. But then, as Catherine says, it became more and more the only show in town anyway when everything else became can- uh, was cancelled. It, it will be it will be big, um, and obviously Murray preview is always always holds an interest. But yeah, Murray still tomorrow will still be kind of playing second fiddle. Um, but yeah. And you won't mind a bit, will you? Uh, what's going to be interesting now is the next chapter in the life of Marcus Willis because he's gone from being, you know, basically a coach who just dabbles with a bit of professional tennis on the side to entering pre-qualifying, winning six matches all the way through, winning a first-round match, getting all this publicity, and is he going to make a go of it, do we think? What do you think, Phil? Well, I guess the problem he's got is how is he possibly going to top playing Roger Federer on centre court at Wimbledon. So he's going to have to show a great deal of drive, isn't he, which perhaps has been missing in his career up until the last few weeks if he is to actually get out in no man's land and, and build up the points necessary to continue his rise. But 
The other thing I would say is let's pay tribute at this point to his girlfriend because I think we all have those kind of sliding doors moments in life, don't we? As Charlie Sheen said in Wall Street, you know, life is about a few moments and this is one of them. And just four months ago, he met his girlfriend. And I think one of the first conversations they had in the first half hour that they met was, well, I'm thinking of packing in tennis and heading off to Philadelphia to do a bit of coaching. And she said, no, you're not. No, you're not. You've got to give it another crack. You know, fast forward four months. And here he is having won seven matches. You know, he shouldn't have even been in pre-qualifying. It was only because someone else couldn't get there in time because their plane was cancelled or their train didn't work. that he even got to play. And seven matches later, a full Grand Slam programme later, he's playing Roger Federer on centre court. I mean, you could not make that story up. You'd be laughed out of court. You'd be laughed out of your Hollywood studio if you came up with that script. And it actually happened. And we saw it. I, I don't want to detract at all from that script. I do just want to add that she, she rather humbly, uh, in an interview live at Wimbledon, did with Jenny Bate today, she said, yes, she did tell him. She was the one to tell him to give it another go, but she did confess that it wasn't because she's a tennis mastermind. She said she just quite liked him and didn't want him to, <laughs> didn't want him to bugger off. To, yeah, she <laughs> to also confessed, by the way, that she'd nicked his £250 Wimbledon voucher and gone off to the Wimbledon shop while he was practising to go and spend it. That was one of my favourite hours of radio in Five Live Wimbledon history, actually. When, when uh, I mean, normally the other halves of tennis players that are about to play matches don't do live interviews with Tony Livesey <laughs> as part of the Wimbledon Five Live coverage, as, as appealing as that may be. And, and there, was, there was just this wonderful sort of innocence and, well, you know, why wouldn't I have a chat about, uh, about Marcus Willis? You know, and, and, and she said, it's, you know, it's a bit colder than I thought, isn't it? I wish I'd brought my jacket. I think I might go and take Marcus's £250 voucher down the Wimbledon shop, see what I can get down there. They, they, they treat these players pretty well, don't they? No wonder he's doing so well. That's what she said. Fantastic, isn't it? Anyway, Marcus Willis, we'll be following him with interest. How many pieces are we going to see about him in the Telegraph tomorrow, Charlie? <laughs> uh, a few, I reckon, yeah. A few different angles. Yeah, exactly. And I think the, what, the taking it forward is, is really important. What happens next? You know, we had Chris Eaton eight years ago. is maybe the, the most comparable. I know nothing really is fully comparable. Um, and we didn't really hear too much from him, from him after that. And, and, you know, Wimbledon history is littered with Brits who've done amazing, you know, punched way above their weight at Wimbledon and then haven't really kicked on. So it's, it's definitely a big challenge for him. Agnieszka Radvanska, a winner today. One thing, Catherine, that we always say, being a, a sort of glasses-half-full podcast, is that, yes, you may get a deluge of rain and you may get hours sitting there watching nothing except the rain falling, but the next day, the next day, you benefit from it, don't you, if you're at a tennis tournament, because there's matches everywhere. Yeah, I'm sure that's how John Isner and Marcus Bagdatis are seeing it as we speak, who are still locked in what looks like it's going to be a five-set battle, five-set first-round battle, which will still be going on uh, deep into Thursday. But yeah, I mean, if all the matches get played, then it'll be fantastic. The problem is if the backlog just keeps uh, keeps continuing. But yeah, all... Weather permitting, tomorrow's order of play is going to be breathtaking. But yeah, try telling that to John Isner right now. No, well, well, we all... if anyone can cope with long, long <laughs> spending a long time on court. I think Isner's probably the man. Thankfully, yeah, I think it'll be all right. Uh, we always like to ask our special guests what they think is going to be the highlight of the rest of the tournament and who they think is going to win it. So Philip Studd, what do you? Hold on, mate. Well, Catherine. David, David doesn't care what I think the highlight is going to be. <laughs> well, what would you think the highlight's going to be? Of the tournament. Yeah. I think we've seen it, I think haven't we? we've seen it, yeah, yeah, exactly. Who's going to win it? 
Oh, we've already done that. What about you, Philip Studd? Who's going to win it? Who's going to be in the semi-finals of the men's and women's singles? Well, now my tip, Marcus Willis, has gone out with, uh, <laughs> with Federer surprising him in straight sets. Um, it's hard to see past Novak Djokovic, isn't it? I mean, it really is. The only caveat, I would say, is that he has got quite a tough second week. I mean, you know, he's got to beat Ryanich in all probability. And as we know, Ryanich at the moment is very confident. He's working with John McEnroe. He's working on moving forward, improving his volleying. He's got massive serve. He's got a wingspan, the width of the Wimbledon complex. So that's going to be tough. And then just the small matter probably of facing the seven times champion in the semis before he plays Andy Murray. So, you know, from a British point of view, that gives cause for hope. But I think Djokovic and I think Serena Williams. I'm not going to win a great deal of money at the bookmakers coming up with that combo, but I think it's the most likely scenario. I should just ask, I think Marcus Willis's press conference has just finished because we've just had a, an exit from the interview room. It was like a herd of wildebeest coming over a, a hill because I don't think I've ever seen quite so many people come out of a press conference, Charlie, for a, for a second round match. Yeah, I mean, that's, that must be a record for a player who's ranked 772nd in the world as well. Who do you think is going to win the tournament based on what you've seen so far? Uh, Again, I'd love to be really original um, and say someone totally out there. I mean, one slight surprise maybe. I think one of Zverev's team has a really good chance of getting to the semi. Uh, Other than that, I think it's probably going to be the usual suspects and I would say Djokovic will win the men's. And I'm going to go with Muguruza for the women's. It's all interesting, isn't it? Catherine Whitaker. It's good having all these guests on the tennis podcast, isn't it? Yeah, to do predictions for us so that we don't have to, yeah. yeah. I thought exactly the same thing. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll be back every single day during Wimbledon here on the tennis podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. Subscribe on iTunes, follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. I'll understand what it all means one day. Uh, do read your Telegraph website and newspaper tomorrow because there'll be loads of Simon Briggs and, and Charlie Eccleshare and all the team in there. Philip Studd, lovely to have you with us. It's a pleasure to be with you, David. I'm a bit disappointed it's taken you more than 200-plus episodes to get me on, but, you know, I gather the cleaner was busy, so uh, there we are. Yeah, she was, and we'll see you in another 200. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.